Uh, our key text from today comes from Matthew 21. Uh, it's, it happens right after the triumphal entry, which is a time when Jesus came into the, the city of Jerusalem. And uh, the, the city itself had, had swelled just like Asbury, but it was on a much greater scale. There's usually about 300,000 or so in Jerusalem, and it blow, blew up to 2 million. Okay, so all the pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims, coming into the Holy, uh, the, during this Holy Week to worship God, to offer their sacrifices, and prepare for the Passover. And so this is the scene. The city uh, was a madhouse, a madhouse of activity, a lot going on. Entrepreneurs really wanted to take advantage of the situation because you got a lot of uh, people bringing their, their families and their money with them. And so this is what happened in the temple, a scene that you may have been familiar with. Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. So the temple courts, these were a place that were intended to be, a place of prayer and worship, a place where these pilgrims from all around could come and worship God. Even the Gentiles, they had what was called the Gentiles court that surrounded. The Gentiles were able to come into the temple, or at least that temple area, to worship God. And God himself, of course, was supposed to be the primary focus. But that certainly wasn't what was happening here. It would be a little bit distracting if you have, if you have your, your, your cows and your birds flapping around and people exchanging money and throwing money around and people yelling and wanting to get the right exchange rates. While you're trying to pray, it makes it a little, little bit difficult. One of the things I like to do, I, uh, I work from home. So uh, sometimes I work at the kitchen table. When the kids come home from school, it makes it a little challenging to be able to you know, engage in my spiritual practices there. It, it, it is a little challenging when you have mobs of people buying and selling when that place that God dedicated to prayer uh, was, was, was set apart for that, but you couldn't do it. And so that what was happening. In fact, what happened was that being profitable became more important than being prayerful. And so the value system, the whole entire ritual sacrifice where people, they couldn't bring it to the sacrifices with them, just on these long journeys. These, they walked miles and miles. They couldn't bring it, so they had to buy it there. And I wonder, it, it makes us think, how much today our productivity drowns out our prayer lives. Have you ever found that, that your commitment to productivity has been in a, a, a blockade to your, to your own prayer life, your own personal pursuit of the presence of God? I mean, I struggle with this. I'm a pastor, and I'm basically prayed to, paid to pray and to do, you know, the Jesus stuff. But even I myself, I find this tension, like, oh, but I got to get this done. I got to get this email sent. I got to get this message. I got to talk to this person and that person, organize this thing. And so often we get so caught up in productivity and profitability or whatever that means to us that we forget our highest priority, which is the presence of God, and we seek the presence of God in prayer. You know, a lot of these guys here, you know, it says, Jesus uses this interesting phrase, a den of robbers. And it seems to imply that, that some of the people here were actually extorting the poor by charging exorbitant prices for the sacrifices. And that certainly was the case here, but not necessarily in every case. 
I would imagine, just like in any uh, sales market, that there are people who are being greedy. But probably, I would imagine that most of these folks, the sales people, are just trying to make a living. They're just trying to be productive and live their life the way they're supposed to and make a sale. But see, what had happened was is that their commitment to productivity and profitability was interfering with the prayer and worship. And so the, really the bigger issue that Jesus is pointing at as he gets really infuriated is not just this economic thing. And that's a kind of a good segue from our series that we were talking about, Remembering the Poor. That's, that's, that's a high value of Jesus. But what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's highlighting a different issue of something that's being robbed. What's happening is that these, these millions of people are all the people that are at least interested in going to the temple. They're being robbed of their opportunity to pray and worship. And this seemed to really get under the skin of Jesus. That, but so Jesus, what he did is he interrupted their business. He he just he just came in and he tossed everything over. I mean, he was getting pretty pretty physical. I mean, you might even say violent, not with the people, but with all the tables and the benches of those selling selling doves. And Mike, a few weeks back, he he spoke and there's a question. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired him. He was interrupted in the middle of his message at the beginning. I wasn't know that was the beginning, but he's like, I got to throw up my notes. But really the key idea there that I remember is, are we interruptible? Jesus will often interrupt our, the way that we do business in order to clear the way for what he wants to do in our life. And so perhaps right now, you or we might be in a season where things are being cleared away and it might not be pleasant, but there might be a purpose in what God is doing. You know, in Lent, what we do during Lent is a purposeful disruption of our normal how we do business in order to focus again our hearts on God and we do that together. But even here, it's interesting, there's even deeper significance to what's happening. So historically and throughout the law, the Old Testament law, God had commanded his people to bring sacrifices to him in order to make things right, for sacrifice, for the forgiveness of sins, and to make themselves right before God again. And so Jesus, from a theological perspective, him clearing out the temple was actually a prophetic act. And what he was going to do is that just this week, later on this week, he himself was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. So no longer would these old sacrifices be needed that had been given for thousands and thousands of years, or however long, a couple thousand years. But Jesus himself was becoming the ultimate sacrifice. And that now, that through faith in Jesus himself as the ultimate sacrifice, we can be made right. So there's some real theological deep significance to what Jesus was doing in this prophetic act of clearing out the temple. And that's an invitation. It's not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles and everyone here today. Is that Jesus has come and he has made that sacrifice on the cross so that we could be made right with God again. And that's an invitation that he extends to the world. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, he, he adds here, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. So there's an extension that God wants his, his life, his light to extend to all, all of the world. Okay, so interesting. So he clears it out. Well, what's really interesting is once he clears out all the nonsense, once all the noise is cleared out, a couple of incredible things happen here. Okay, the first is this, verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So after Jesus clears out all the noise and the nonsense, what that did is it created a space where people can find 
healing in the presence of God and Jesus. I believe this is a, a beautiful picture, and it's really part of the vision of what God's given us as a church to be this place of healing, a place where people can come into the presence of God and be healed. And we've seen God do that. We've seen God heal people in physical ways and emotional ways and spiritual. And week by week, God's presence is enabling us to do the things that Jesus uh, taught us to continue to do once he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Now, here's the second thing, and it connects with the Gina's God story here, time. Okay, verse uh, 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, so if you see Jesus do wonderful things, what did the Pharisees do? They got angry, right? That doesn't seem right, but that's what, that's what they did. Uh, and, and they saw the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear, uh, okay, next, next slide. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yeah. Jesus replied, haven't you read from the lips of children and infants, Lord? You have called forth your praise. Let me say this. Children worshiping God is one of the primary signs that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Children, again and again, the value that Jesus loves children, I, the heart that Jesus has for children and for, particularly for the youth is consistently demonstrated. And here, particularly, the worship of children, the praise that came from children's mouth was a primary sign that God's kingdom is present. And when God's kingdom is present, children come into the presence of God. Children worship God, the youth. And let me tell you, nothing makes me happier, I think, in my life than to see my children worship God. To have on their own an authentic, not just because I told them or want that for them. I mean, that's important. And we need to teach and instruct. That is very important. But to have their faith and a, a genuine worship come from their heart to God is one of the greatest joys of my life. And it certainly is even youth. When I hear stories of what God's doing among the youth in our own church or elsewhere, that just brings me so much, so much joy. And there is, your, any investment in the youth is like guaranteed kingdom riches for you, you know? So, you know, whatever, you give a little cup of water, you know, a million dollars in heaven. You know, you invest in a little youth retreat, two billion, you know, heaven dollars or whatever it is. Just the value of kids. It, there's so much, in, in the kingdom perspective, I think more of us would just spend some more time among children if we just could see the value that Jesus had for children in their, their worship. And now if you know this, you know where those revivals in, in the United States start? Where, who they start among? They start among the youth. They're starting at college campuses among young people for a reason. They, it starts among the youth and then trickles down or explodes outward, probably is a better way to describe it, among the rest of the people. So this, and I mean, just 1970s Jesus people movement, it was the young, right? So this, this, there's a pattern here that we see emerging uh, from the scriptures and even from our experience of, of these revivals that happen across America. So this scripture, so let's close. So it, it closes here. This, it's an interesting little descriptor observation that, that Matthew makes about Jesus. But he, he withdraws for a brief time, uh, apparently just to go home, go home to sleep. Uh, it says here, and then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany 
where he spent the night. And it's not necessarily, he didn't, Matthew, I don't think necessarily needed, but he, he, he put that detail in there for a reason. And I mean, this is the most important week of his life. You think he might maximize every moment, like be in the city and do all this, you know, through the night, maybe for a week straight, just to maximize his ministry and optimize his spiritual productivity. But he didn't do that, did he? He, he pulled away, to spend the night out, outside the city. And as we see here, there are really important lessons that we can learn from Jesus about what he, modeled, what he models for his disciples, and they really push against the key narrative, one of the key narratives in our society today and within culture today. And you may, I've mentioned it before, but it's at the, the heart of this, everyone doing right in their own eyes. There's been a term that very, that's, that's been used by sociologists or psychologists, uh, but it's called expressive individualism. Have you, have you heard this term before? But basically, expressive individualism it, it's really a cause of a lot, a lot of different issues, but it emphasizes the importance of self-expression. It emphasizes the importance of individual choice, and it puts that above basically everything else. But what it, what it leads to is often it will lead to s- social fragmentation, and it will lead to self-indulgence. And it, what it says is it's the me first, and what I feel is the ultimate uh, determination or is the ultimate God of how I should live my life. And it's one of the reasons why in our culture today, I mean, there are spiritual dynamics, but why we see people pursuing sex instead of uh, authentic relationships. It's the reason why we see so many people pursuing various addictions like drugs or even work itself instead of the very pursuit of the presence of God. And why we see people giving themselves, just entertaining themselves, filling their their free time constantly with with endless entertainment instead of uh, a time of prayer and worship in being in the presence of God. There's, there's, this, there's this sense of just, I just need to fill myself with what I can myself, but we often forget, and listen, we all fall, fall prey to this. You know, we all are just, I'm just so tired, I just need to just give myself what I need, but we forget where the true life really is. It's the presence of God. And in our pursuit of productivity and profitability, we forget that the pursuit of the presence of God is where the true life is, is where true revival really is. You know, you can see it. You can see it everywhere. So I, I like to talk to people in my gym about Jesus. I, they like to ask questions, the opening questions, and often I'll just say something random about Jesus. Um, what's your favorite fruit? Jesus. <laughs> what do you eat for breakfast? I eat Jesus for breakfast. What? What's the matter with you? Anyway... There's this one woman, she's a doctor, and uh, we, we had a conversation. She said she went to, she was going to church. She was part of a different type of church or different church tradition, but still, she was pretty committed, just went to church, but it was really just because that's what you did. Uh, COVID hit, didn't go back to church. Uh, she felt like, what she said was, you know, I feel like I can just do my spirituality on my own. I can, I can get it on my own. But that's kind of one little little taste that, hey, I can, just, I can just do it by myself. What do I need, what do I need a, a community for? What do I need a church for? But, you know, you dig a little deeper, you understand, I mean, look at the background with all that had happened within churches, these abuses and uh, misuse of finances. And, like, you start to wonder, well, listen, if that was my experience of church, I didn't experience God's presence when I was at church. I, there was nothing real tangible. 
And then I look around and all these church leaders and churches are acting in this way. How, I mean, I can't really, you can't really blame them. I mean, I can relate. You know, I, you know my friend, uh, I, can, I can understand where you're coming from. Despite that, I believe here, just from these passages, I think there's important reasons why every person who would claim to be a follower of Jesus or who would want to be a spiritual person needs to be part and connected to a praying community. What Jesus calls it, he calls it a house of prayer. And I'm just going to extend the, uh, the metaphor that Jesus uses here a little bit, or maybe the actual thing, is a house of prayer with a purpose. Okay, so I want to give you three quick reasons just from here. You could do it. We could do a whole biblical exegesis, look at the, the whole meta narrative of the Bible, and probably come up with 10 or 15 reasons. But I'm going to boil it down to three for you. Just what I see here, what we can see from this, this passage here. First is this why I believe that every follower of Jesus needs to be an active participant in a praying community. Number one is that children need a community to teach them how to pray. Um, you know, when we do child dedications, what we do is we bring, the parents will bring the children and they'll say, I, we are committing our, we're going to commit to raising our children to following the Lord, but then we ask the congregation the question, can you, will you help us? See, children need more than what their family themselves can give them to, to live a vital spiritual life. Children need a community to see, it's, it's called Incarnation. They need to see the life of Jesus lived out in a community in order for their, own, for their spirituality or for their relationship with Jesus to become their own. It can't depend completely on the parents themselves. I mean, the, the parents play an absolutely vital role. Don't get me wrong. But if it's not lived out in a community that is pursuing Jesus, the children will have a much more difficult time seeing that. I mean, with our children, we, we pray with them constantly. We do Bible studies with them. We bring them into uh, opportunities and we talk to them along the road about uh, how our faith impacts, how Jesus uh, makes an impact in their lives. We, we, we pray with, uh, for other people with them. And we try to do all that we can, but we, even as people who have devoted our lives to ministry, we can't raise our children to follow the Lord without you. And similarly, Children, they need, we need a community to worship God. So when these children were worshiping, where did it happen? It happened within a community context where there, where there, were, there was an opportunity for Jesus in, in the presence, to see Jesus himself, the, presence, the very presence of God on earth, and, and the worship came, came from that. So our children need to experience this house of prayer in order for them to experience God's, God's very presence. And the church, the church, a, a church community, helps us do that. And so, if anything, the church, I mean, we're all the older generation, we're going to die out, right? You think about the, these, uh, these generations, if you think generationally, one of our primary roles is to invest what God has given us as older people, or middle-aged people, like I'm a middle-aged guy, I just have to admit it now. Guys, I'm middle-aged. So, I'm getting on the, you know, the sunset side of things. You know, that, that, that line that we sang in the 10,000 Reasons, you know, in the the sun goes down and the thing is like, man, I'm getting closer and closer every day, you know. Now, and you know, listen, I know I got some life left in me, Lord willing. But, but listen, we need to pass it on to the next generation. I'm feeling more and more as I get older the importance of investing in the next generation. Okay, number two, we need to be a part of a house of prayer because it, secondly, it creates a context where people can be healed by Jesus. Listen, 
When God's, where God's people pray, God's power is present. When God's people pray, God's power is present. So as we come together into the presence of God, what this does, what we're doing here, is it creates a context, it creates a space where people can come to be healed by Jesus. Jesus, his ministry was to the masses and the masses came to be healed by him. And so what we do together is important. It creates a space, a place, and a time uh, during the week where people can come and be healed by Jesus. And listen, it, uh, there's a lot, of God, lot more God stories than that are being told up here, how God has been healing people just in little bits. I, I love praying with the youth. The other day I was praying with one of the youth and God just broke in with this prophetic word to open up uh, a new way of thinking about the weariness that he was experiencing or that they were experiencing in their, in their life. And it's just, it's incredible to see how God, God works. And then thirdly, lastly, we need to be part of a praying community because God designed prayer to be communal, not just individual. See, prayer, the way Jesus modeled it, the way Jesus modeled even the Lord's prayer, how does it start off? Our Father. And so the assumption is, is that first and foremost, we learn how to pray together in a community. And if, if you're new to that, it's awkward. it's awkward. You can just sit there and watch, and that's okay. That's how you learn. You learn in community. So yes, prayer is individual, and there's times to pull away. But the way Jesus lived his life is that Jesus lived his life in community. He served the masses in community. He prayed in community. And then punctuated those times in a prayerful community by pulling away for important times of solitude and prayer. But the primary emphasis was this prayer-filled community that he created that did the works and the words of Jesus. And just like Jesus, uh, the, uh, Jesus said before, but Teresa alluded to in the past message about like, serving the poor, it's not an obligation but it's an invitation to transformation. And that's what the invitation to prayer is. So what is prayer anyway? It's just simply conversation with God. And if Jesus, by that sacrifice on his cross and his, his rising from the dead, initiated a new era where humanity can now have a relationship with God. And prayer is the primary response to the gospel, to the good news, that we can have a relationship. And how do you have a relationship with someone? It's through conversation. It's through prayer. It's through connection with God. And we do that as God's family in community together. And so really, it's just a natural way that we respond to God's gift to us. So how are we doing this? Well, so in the beginning, our church, and I want to give you an opportunity to, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. We'll do that. But We've, we've tried to be intentional the best we could, at least the best we under, well, we try to change things up if we're not doing it quite right, but to create a space where we can come into God's presence and, and let our church, our community, to be a prayer-saturated church. So we've designed and we've, we want to continue to create spaces and contexts where people in our community can pray, learn how to pray together. So for example, before our church uh, services, we, you can meet with various teams and pray, but if you just show up and walk around, you'll see some teams praying around 10 o'clock. So you can just come and just sit. Even if, it, if you're new, you can just sit and, and listen. That counts. 
Just your presence, being in the presence of God. During the service, we create time, space. We'll do that in a moment. Uh, we're going to have a time of silence where we can pray. It's a two-way conversation where God, not only we're speaking to God, but God can speak to us. After the service, we offer prayer for those who are interested. During our small groups, we create time for intercession. And we create time for prayer ministry. Where we're praying for one another's needs. And at the last, the last Sunday of the month, we've primarily dedicated that time to prayer and worship. There's some fun, other fun ideas that I have cooking in the, in the cooker. Uh, we'll let you know about that. I'm really excited about it. But I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag just yet. But anyway, what we want to do is build this prayer-saturated community to become a prayer-filled community with a purpose in order to pursue the presence of God. And if we want to experience really this unique awe and wonder, the awe and wonder that surrounds Holy Week, we need to create space for it. We need to, create, we need to interrupt our busy and important schedules. We need to think about productivity a little bit differently, perhaps not what is written in most business uh, books or what the world tells us is productive, but to reframe, to reshape the way that we think about what's truly important. Let me ask you a question. First thing in the morning, do you pick up your phone or do you spend some time investing in prayer before you go to sleep? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? How are you engaging? Do we need to interrupt business as usual if we want to pursue the presence of God and experience more in the life that he has to offer us? See, we can, here's the invitation, you know, we can, you can have as much God in your life as you want. The problem is never on God's side, guys. It's us. The invitation is open. The arms of Jesus are wide open for each of us. Will we decide? Will we come? Will we decide? Will we make priority the presence, pursuing the presence of God? So I want to finish with a question and then give you some time to think and pray about it. Okay, so here's the question. And so the key point, if you didn't get it, don't let your productivity or your commitment to productivity or profitability to rob you of your pursuit of the presence of God. I'll say it one more time. Don't let your commitment to productivity or profitability rob you of the pursuit of the presence of God. So here's my question. What do you believe the Holy Spirit is asking you or is currently clearing out and turning over in your life in order to create space for you to pursue the presence of God? Ask him just to identify one thing. What's the next step? If you've been doing that, great. I commend your faith. Keep doing it. What's the next thing? The sky's the limit. It's endless. So let's take some time. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit, I'm going to stop talking so the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts. And I'll, then I'll close in prayer and we'll worship. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring revelation to us and conviction about what you want to clear out in our lives so that we can make more room for pursuing your presence, particularly in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. So it's going to be a little bit, maybe awkwardly silent, but just enjoy the gift.
of this space. Come on, whisper. Show us how to let go in order that we might receive what you have for us. I want to lead you in a little prayer here. So as God reveals whatever he's revealing, you might want to say something like, Lord, I... I've recognized that I've clung to what I thought was good, but I've missed out on what was better. Would you give me your grace to let go? And I give you freedom to clear the space of my life. And you might want to name the whatever specific thing it is in order that I may have more of your presence in me and in my family. And for the first time, you might say, Lord, I've never given you space and I want to turn to you, back to you again. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I receive that free gift. Now help me pursue, making the pursuit of you and your presence the top priority of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.